the sports dance. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and welcome to the sports dance. That is right, it is Friday, a few days after Christmas, still in the middle of Hanukkah. Hopefully everybody's enjoying their holidays. I know I sure am. But we're here to talk a little bit of sports. We're going to talk about what happened on Christmas Day in basketball. We're going to look ahead to the weekend for football. Maybe dabble a little bit into college football. But overall, it's going to be a short, light episode. We're going to get about 30 minutes in because it is the holiday season. You know, as much as I enjoy talking to you guys and about sports... I do want to spend as much time with my family as possible, especially my little guy. So let's get into sports. Let's get into what happened on Christmas Day in the NBA because, well, that's what it was all about. Christmas Day, nothing else except five NBA games with some of the biggest, brightest stars in the game. And some of them played like they got cold in their stocking and others played like they maybe stayed up watching Santa and waiting for him and maybe played a little tired. So let's jump right into it. First game of the day was the Celtics versus the Raptors. I'm not going to lie. If you listen to Paul's pylon last week, I made some predictions about what I thought was going to happen in these games. And I think I nailed one. Like, I don't think I could have been more wrong on Christmas Day games than I was. Starting with the first game, Celtics, Raptors. I really thought the Raptors had this. You know, Celtics had to travel up to Canada on Christmas. Didn't think, you know, they were going to be ready and up for a game like that. They were. I mean, the Celtics took it to the Raptors, and honestly, no fits to Fred Van Vliet, but when you're the team's top scorer with 27 points, and the next highest is a bench player, things can't be going too well for you. I mean, Kyle Lowry only had 14 points, Ibaka didn't do much, and then you had the Celtics with Jalen Brown going off on Christmas Day along with Kemba Walker to give the Celtics combined 52 points between the two of them. And then you have Jason Tatum having an all-around phenomenal game. Celtics took it easily. I mean, they handled the Raptors and didn't even, you know, blink, I guess you could say. I don't know, I was trying to think of some Christmassy innuendo, but I just I just couldn't. They dashed away, dashed away, dashed away the Raptors. There you go. But so yeah, Celtics took first game of the day. Did it pretty easily. I mean, it was a whole team effort. All the starters did pretty well. Toronto's did not. It's just how that goes. Then the next game of the day was one of the few, few, was one of the main ones with stars all across the board. You had Joel Embiid, Giannis, you had Ben Simmons. You can even throw Tobias Harris in there. You just had a lot of star power in this Bucks sixers games. And it had implications of kind of establishing top teams in the East. Bucks right now are a clear cut above everybody else. The Sixers, though, are not far behind. And yesterday, Joel Embiid showed when he wants to, he can be a top 10 player in this league. And Ben Simmons not that far behind. They are a young, scary duo when both of them are on top of their games. Embiid had 31 points and 11 rebounds and a few assists. To go along with Ben Simmons, who put up 15 points, 7 rebounds, and 14 assists. I mean, the guys were on the game yesterday. And when you're on your game against Giannis, you have a good shot. I mean, it's going to be hard. He's the Greek freak for a reason. He's the reigning MVP. 
But Giannis just he didn't have that magic yesterday. He didn't didn't have that fairy dust, that magical whimsy that he normally does. Yeah, he put up 14 rebounds, seven assists, and 18 points. But it's not what we've come to expect from Giannis. We expect him to be above that. We expect him to be on that next level. We expect 25, 30 points a night with the rest of that stat line. That's what happens, though, when you're reigning MVP. That's the pressure that gets put on you. That's what happens when you take down LeBron and Anthony Davis one night, and then a few nights late, days later, you lose to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with a really good stat line. You still get criticized because, well, it was an MVP-like performance. But the Sixers won big at home. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought the Sixers were going to eke it out. They did. That was, I think, my one lone sole victory prediction of the day. Because the next game, you didn't see happening. I definitely did not see happening. I don't think anybody outside of maybe the players on the Warriors saw it happening because they just kind of had to actually have faith in themselves. The Warriors, though, took it to the Rockets. And I don't just mean like they won by a few points. They almost flipped my prediction completely on set. I thought the Rockets were going to win by 15 points easily against the ragtag Warrior teams led by Draymond Green. Nope. I was wrong. I admit it. I was wrong. All right. I did not see what was going to happen. And the more phenomenal thing is James Harden only took 18 shots. He made nine of those 18. I think he was six of 10 from three points. That's pretty good. It's efficient. What's not efficient? Russell Westbrook shooting 11 of 32 and 0 for 8 from three point. If Russ cannot hit a three pointer or two, Rockets are always going to be in trouble. I mean, if you're going to take eight three-pointers, you've got to at least hit two or three. And then if you're not going to, you better hit all your little two-point layup drives that I know you're taking. Instead, the Warriors, all their starters outside of one, four to the five starters put up 18 or more points. That is a full team effort. And they, I mean, they handled their business. You had Clay and Steph on the sidelines in their suits, dancing, putting up the three-point symbols. I mean, they were loving everything they were seeing. Draymond looked like an offensive weapon. It was weird. But the Warriors did what I didn't think they were going to do. They crushed the Rockets. Not even just by a little. By a very good amount. So I think that was by far the biggest upset of the day. Which led into the biggest game of the day. The Battle of LA. You had Kawhi Leonard, Paul George versus Anthony Davis and LeBron James. How is Kyle Kuzma going to be with his sprained ankle? Apparently fine. Just so you know. But it was the big game. This was the 8 o'clock game. This was the prime time. Presents are done opening. You're done with your meal for the day. You're ready to sit back and relax and just doze off while you watch this game. It was a good one. I mean, it delivered on the promise of being the must-watch game, according to Paul. Paul said this was his number one most watchable game on Christmas. He was right. Now, I said the Lakers were going to win. I really thought they had it. It looked good all at the beginning, up front. They looked like they had a really good, easy cruise to a victory. I think they were up 15 points at one point. Then Kawhi Leonard got hot. Kyle Kuzma got cold, and LeBron and Anthony Davis 
both put up respectable numbers, but it just wasn't enough. I mean, to put in perspective, Kyle Kuzma outscored Kawhi Leonard in the first half. He was on fire, but he finished off with 25 points. I think 19 of those came in the first half. LeBron James finished with a stat line of 23 points, 9 rebounds, and I think 11 assists. So he was a rebound away from a triple-double, which is never shabby. But the key was Anthony Davis, I think, putting up. He put up 24 points, but he only had 6 rebounds, which means he was not a factor on that part. That's a big part of his game. You need Anthony Davis to get those rebounds. You need him to get those second-chance points. That's what he's there for. And if you can't get that, I mean, Lakers, you got to figure it out different ways to win because three-pointers were not working. And the Clippers, right now, they own L.A. They've beaten the Lakers in all their matchups. Patrick Beverly with the defensive play of the night with three-point lead, time running out, LeBron had the ball. Who's on him? Is it Kawhi? No. Is it Paul George? No, it's Patrick Beverly. Out of everybody to put on LeBron at the last second of the game, it's Patrick Beverly. And what does he do? He hits the ball in LeBron's hands, but made sure the frame-by-frame shows LeBron technically was last to touch it. Clippers ball. Clippers win the game. Now, it wouldn't have been a three-point game also if LeBron could have hit two free throws. He hit one of two. It's been a big thing with LeBron this year. His free throws are horrendous. And he's even worse in the fourth quarter when you're supposed to hopefully get better. So LeBron definitely needs to fix that before the fourth quarter of playoff time because you can bet a lot of teams are going to start fouling you if they know they have a better shot of you missing one of two than just letting you get that easy layup or easy dunk or any any easy shot of any sort. But besides LeBron, Kawhi came out. He, He was hot early, cooled down in the middle, but then put in 11 of his 35 points in that fourth quarter. He made sure he was not going home a loser on Christmas Day. Now you're going to have people you know, saying, oh, well, LeBron doesn't take over the game at the end, this and that. No offense. LeBron's 34. I get he's one of the greatest players in the world, if not the greatest still at the moment. But again, he's 34. You have Anthony Davis. You have other guys. He's done it his whole career. He's allowed to get a little bit of help. He's allowed at the end of the games to pass it off if he thinks the matchups work in that way. So, of course, you're going to have everybody chirping both ways. But, you know, games matter. This game doesn't matter as much in the long run as they do in June, July. So we'll see what happens then. But that was the Battle of L.A. Patrick Beverly, the savior of the night with his defense. I mean, did you see it coming? Probably a little bit, am I right? Just seems like it's set up that way with Patrick Beverly with all the people saying he's not as good a defender as people think he is. And then he comes up huge in a big moment. And everybody can see. And he let he let that whole crowd know that it was his home. It was his court. L.A. is the Clippers down. Like he can't say what he said here. But he let people know. And then last but not least, the last game of the night. The game that you definitely did not watch or slept through or you just caught quick highlights this morning because you just wanted to see what happened. Pelicans, Nuggets. Really thought Nuggets would probably just take this easily. Pelicans have been struggling. You know, they had the 13-game losing streak they just snapped. And, I mean, they snapped it and Christmas Day came and Brandon Ingram has continued to do what he's done all season long, which is ball out. I mean, the guy is having a career year. 
he is. I mean, 31 points last night. Yeah, Josh Hart helping him, his four, his teammate with the Lakers, now with the Pelicans, putting up 16. So, Pelicans, young guys, got it done last night. Nikola Djokic, just, I mean, he was 8 of 20. Not a great night for him. I mean, he still put up a good, good stat line, but he was their top player, and he didn't have a great night. So, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, I mean, none of those guys did anything to help, I mean... Granted, they all had decent games, but when you're putting up mid-teens and you have one guy in the 20s, it's not going to be good. Your team has a very small chance of winning, I feel like, when that happens. And it doesn't matter who you're facing. Even if it's the Pelicans, who Paul didn't even know was a team until I told him last week. But that was the NBA. That was Christmas in the NBA. I mean, some good games. They A lot of them were close until the end. But, man, I was I was wrong about a lot of them. It's okay, though. It's all right. What's all right also is Seat Giant. Seat Giant is bringing us the show today. If you go to Seat Giant for all your sporting, concert, ticket needs, make sure you enter the code 12OUNCESPORTS in the promo section to get an even better deal. Because when you go to Seat Giant, you get the best deals for you and your family for any ticket, whether it's going to a baseball game, whether it's going to a concert of your favorite band, or just any of your ticket needs. Make sure you check out Seat Giant and use promo code 12OUNCESPORTS. Now that we're done with NBA, we're going to shift over to the NFL because we are entering week 17 of the NFL season. That is right. One more weekend of regular season football until the playoffs kick off. And guess what? There are still a few things on the line, including a playoff spot in the NFC. And I think the AFC. Both have one spot left. The NFC one's a little more sad because wild cards are locked up. Three of the four divisions are locked up. One division is not locked up yet. That would be the lowly, lowly, NFC East, where my pride and joy Eagles reside. Yep, they are not that great this year, but guess what? They're better than the Cowboys right now. That is right. The Cowboys suck. I'm just going to say it that way. They stink. They had every possible reason to win that game this past weekend, and they just didn't. They had their top running backs, their top quarterbacks, their top receivers. The Eagles had... Two practice squad guys, Zach Ertz with the hurt rib cage, and Dallas Goddard, no Lane Johnson. And yet, they still somehow found a way to win and take control of the NFC East with one game left against the Giants, who actually could upset them. And then the Cowboys, if they win, still win the division. But one thing's for sure Jerry is definitely going to fire Jason Garrett and that whole Cowboys staff. Once their season ends, whether it's after the first round in the playoffs or after this weekend. Kind of hope it's after this weekend because, I mean, I want the Eagles in the playoffs. But, man, did I take pride and joy in watching that game and going down Skip Bayless's tweet timeline because the man, he was going insane. And he had every reason to be going insane. He loves criticizing Carson, as he calls him, Wince. He outperformed Dak Prescott who, yeah, he had a shoulder injury. Okay. 
You say Carson Wentz hurts all the time. Dak Prescott's hurt now. But Dak still made throws, missed a lot of them. But your receivers also had cement hands, and Zeke Elliott got only 13 touches. You have one of the highest paid running backs, and you only let him touch the ball 13 times. And I get it. The Eagles' defense was swallowing him up on mostly every single run, but that second half started, and they ran him, and he was running well. And then Tony Pollard fumbled after Zeke took himself out and basically abandoned the run game after that. Which makes no sense because when you're down by only a touchdown, throwing some runs, throwing some play action. Instead, the Eagles just had to sit there and basically wait on passes. And they got beat. They got burned plenty of times. Tavon Austin, though, Dak Prescott missed him. Dak, that was on Dak. Michael Gallup. Cement hands dropped at least three passes that would have been big yardage. And then Amari Cooper was basically non-existent. It's pretty bad when you're number one wide receiver against a secondary who has been torched all year long. Looks like he's the one that came from the practice squad instead of Greg Ward, who made a difference in this game and looked more like the number one receiver for a team than Amari Cooper. You know, the guy who gave up a first-round pick for The guy that once he was on your team, halfway through the season, was ranked as the number one wide receiver. That guy? Yeah, he did nada against this Eagles defense. It was was astounding. It was quite incredible to watch. And I mean, at the end, the Cowboys still had a chance. They just could not get it done, and it was glorious. It was glorious. So see how this weekend goes. You know, I have one of these teams in my locket, upset, and must-watch. I won't tell you who. We'll wait till that. We got a few minutes. But besides that, the AFC, I think it's like four teams can win it. Tennessee, Oakland has a chance. Steelers have a chance. A lot of teams in the hunt still for that final wild card spot. All need a laundry list of things to happen for it to go their way. I forget who has the control. I think it's the Steelers. The Steelers win. They're in which would be incredible, and Mike Tomlin would definitely deserve Coach of the Year you know, votes based on what he has done without Ben Roethlisberger, who did come out and say, I'm going to be back and better and healthier and stronger and more driven next year. After a lot of reports came out saying he's mulling his retirement again, because apparently that's just what we do now. Every season, is Big Ben going to retire? Yes or no? So we already have the answer. He's not. If you really thought he was going to go out on his career last note as a hurt elbow after three games, you're crazy. But yeah, I mean, you might be crazy. Who knows? That's okay. Besides that, Josh Jacobs, the running back for the Raiders, will not be available. He had shoulder surgery or leg surgery. He had something done. He had an ailing shoulder, but he also just had surgery on his leg, I think. They think he might be back. If they make the playoffs, but who knows? One person that will be back for the playoffs, as long as practice goes well, J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt tore his pectoral muscle eight weeks ago, had surgery, apparently is healthy enough, recovered enough, that he thinks if he practices well this week, he will be able to play for the Texans in their first playoff game, which would be a complete game changer for that defense to have somebody like him Back in the lineup, able to wreak havoc and shift that defense around because obviously a key to a good defense is the pass rush. If 
to get pressure on the quarterback. He's going to make mistakes. You're going to get maybe losses with sacks. Getting somebody like J.J. Watt, who is a surefire future Hall of Famer, is going to help out. So it's good news on that front. You know, you always want to see teams at full strength. The Texans get a key piece back if J.J. is good. So besides that, let's get into the NFL locking in upset must-watch of the week. Because, like I said, it's going to be a short episode. you got a few minutes left. We'll get through this. And then it's bon voyage until the new year. Hopefully you have a good one. But let's get into these NFL picks before then. So we'll start with my upset pick of the week. I'm going down to Dallas because I need this to happen. I'm picking the Redskins to cover the spread. So either I'm praying that they win. But more than likely, they'll just stay under the 11-point loss. I think this mainly because Cowboys are coming off a huge emotional loss. They know their coach is on the way out. The players know the season is on the line. But at this point, do they care enough? Because they kind of look defeated in Philly halfway through that game. It didn't look like they had the fight in them to get back into it. I know it was close at the end. But when you look at what they had on the field compared to what the Eagles had, they should have won that game handily. Now they face a Redskins team that put up a decent amount of points against the Giants. They still lost. They gave the Eagles a run a few weeks ago. Why not give Dallas a run? I mean, it's possible. I actually don't think they get that. I don't think they get crushed. 11 points is a huge spread line. That's why I think the Redskins are going to cover, and maybe, maybe they even win. I'm not going to make them my upset pick because, well, my upset pick I think is a pretty good one. But this is my lock at least for the Redskins to cover the spread. My lock it in, or not my lock it in, that was my lock it in. My upset pick of the week goes to none other than, oh, I know you've guessed it. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to beat the Cleveland Browns. Now I know. You're like, the 1 and 14 Bengals, that team, the team that just locked up the number one pick and will more than likely take LSU, all-star Heisman winning quarterback, sharpshooter, three-point winner, contest maker, Joe Burrows. By the way, if you don't get that reference, it's okay. LSU had a shooting contest with different shots for on a basketball court against Oklahoma LSU needed a shot to go in at the very end to win, and Joe Burrow stepped up, made it. LSU came out with a victory in that. Most likely like they will on Saturday when they beat Oklahoma in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl or whatever it is in the semifinal. LSU's going to win the national championship. I'm just letting you know right now. But so the Bengals are going to get Joe Burrows more than likely with the number one pick. It makes sense. Cincinnati, he's an Ohio kid. Bring him back home. Ticket sales will go through the roof. But since they locked it up, they can actually try to win this game. Not saying they haven't tried to win every game, but they can try to win this game in what will most likely be Andy Dalton's last game as a Bengal. So I think they take down the Browns, partly because I think right now Cleveland is kind of imploding. They came into the season, huge expectations, gigantic. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't think they were going to have that happen. I thought they were going to make it to the playoffs. I thought they were going to win the AFC North. I did not see what was happening. I did not see the Lamar Jackson. I know he's good. 
I did not see the leap he was making this year happening. And I thought the Steelers would still be competitive, but I thought the Browns, with the talent they had gathered, would easily handle the AFC North and win at least by a game or two. I was wrong, clearly. With all the infighting, though, with the OBJ stuff, the Landry stuff, both of them apparently needing surgery potentially at the end of the season, do you even play them when you have nothing to really fight for? Because if that's the case, that's what I think is happening in this game. So that's why I think Cincinnati actually has a chance to win because they also now know there's no chance they lose that number one pick. So why not go for it? Why not go for that W? Why not go for that one more win, Andy Dalton? As the Red Rocket, or whatever his nickname was. Because you got nothing to lose. Except the game. And you've done that 14 times already. So that's why Cincinnati is my upset pick of the week. Now for my must-watch pick of the week. I could go Philadelphia Giants. But that's really just my personal choice because I'm going to be watching it like a hawk to see if the Eagles don't blow it and just take care of business and win the division against Danny Dimes and that and Saquon Barkley, who, I mean, Giants management, if you're listening, Pat Schumer, if you're listening, I mean, why even play Saquon? Why put him out there? Why potentially get him hurt in the final game of the season that means zero to you it doesn't matter you know what you should put all your backup like why don't play Eli or Daniel Jones put in whoever your third string quarterback is don't play Golden Tate or Slayton or Shepard Ingram's not going to be there I mean just just let the practice squad, squad guys have a blast that's just an unbiased opinion over here I'm not saying make it easy for the Eagles to win, but I'm saying don't make it not easy for the Eagles to win. We all don't want Dallas to win. We all don't want the Cowboys to win, so just just do us a favor. We're not going to go far in the playoffs. The Eagles aren't going to go very far in the playoffs. I know this. So why not just let them make it so we can all laugh that Dallas should have made it, should have made it easily, and a team that has half their players on the IR made it instead. But that's just me. That's just my opinion. That's just my must-watch. We all know the clear must-watch of the week is none other than the Sunday night game. San Francisco, Seattle. We're all going to be glued to that TV watching the NFC West title be put up on the line. Honestly, 49ers should walk out with a victory. They are the healthier team. They are the more talented team. But the Seahawks have Russell Wilson. Doesn't matter what else is not around them. They have Russell Wilson. Oh yeah. And Beast Mode is back. That's right. Marshawn Lynch makes his return. Mr. You Know Why I'm Here. Earthquake shattering runs down the field. Would I love to see that? Of course. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I think there's going to be a little bit of rust. Marshawn hasn't played at all this year. You know, he's coming in because Chris Carson... And CJ Procise both got hurt. Big losses for the Seahawks, at least for this week. Don't know what the timeline is for returns. Plus, it might be without one of their star, I think, left tackle in Brown. So, it's going to be a hard game offensively, I think, for the Seahawks, who do rely so much on the run. But they have Russ Wilson. 
And that, that changes the whole game. But I do think overall the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, take it. Scott from Craft Brood Sports, Matt from the 4th and Gold podcast will be very happy. It'll be another Christmas gift. NFC West title, number one seed, most likely in the NFC. At worst, I think number two. So pretty good. Pretty good gift for those guys for Christmas a few days later on a Sunday. But those are my picks. So again, to recap really quick, and then we're just going to wrap this up. I'm not going to give you bold predictions. You already know LSU's beating Oklahoma, and you already know Clemson's beating Ohio State. And then LSU in the finals. But we'll talk about that more as it gets closer, because that's in the new year that that game's going to happen. But just remember, LSU, Clemson. But so, my picks are, my lock it in is the Redskins cover against the Cowboys because they are an 11-point underdog. Then you have my upset watches, the Bengals, over the Browns because Browns are imploding. In Cincinnati, might as well just go for one more victory. And then last but not least, my must-watches are, for me personally, Eagles-Giants. And then for everybody else, you should be watching that San Francisco-Seattle game. But that's it. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. Hope you're having a happy Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. Hopefully you're just enjoying time with family during this holiday season. Next time I speak to you, it will be the year 2020. Have a happy new year. Have a safe New Year's. Paul sends his best. He's out with family celebrating this week too. So everybody, on behalf of me at the Sports Dance and, you know, Paul and everybody that listens, happy New Year's. Hope you have a healthy and happy one. Goodbye. From 2019 Sports Stance. Greg, this has been my stance on sports. I will see you in the year 2020. Have a good one, everybody. The Sports Stance.